0: Hi, this is Sean Fensky, editor in chief of Medical Product Outsourcing, and I'm here for another episode of Mike on MedTech. As always, joining me, Mike Drews, president of Vascular Sciences. So, welcome again, Mike.
1: Thanks, Sean. Great to talk to you and your audience today.
0: So, for this one, uh, for this one, we wanted to try something a little bit different. Uh, in a, in a, my recent issue of uh, Medical Product Outsourcing, I wrote for my editor's letter. Uh, it, titled, uh, A Vision of Healthcare's Future in 3D. Uh, and, and anyone who has not seen this yet uh, can easily go to the MPO website at mpomag.com, select magazine at the top menu, and then just look for the scroll down until you see that title, A Vision of Healthcare's Future in 3D. And what the premise of it was is that uh, whether or not 3D printing would uh, be feasible to occur Within the hospital environment, whether that would involve a leasing uh per se of you know CAD images that could then be or cad uh, CAD diagrams that would then be printed out in the hospital use you know an instrument or a tool or an implant be used by the surgeon uh to uh you know on a patient and uh what the issues concerns considerations there were uh among a few that I reviewed in the in the letter, there was also the issue of regulatory, which I did not get into in the letter, and I wanted to take this opportunity to speak with Mike about that very thing so mike at the at the very surface of what i've already you know just kind of put forth, uh, what are the most obvious of the regulatory concerns that you see that would need to be addressed that probably have not yet don't have a pathway to, you know, don't have a solution yet?
1: Well, it's a great question, Sean, and thanks for the opportunity to have this discussion with you and your audience on a very important topic. Obviously, the use of 3D printing across the board in all industries is increasing. It's increasing in the overall medical device industry as well but specifically in this particular niche of using 3D printers in a hospital or a clinic. And by the way, I think we should not limit our discussion to just hospitals, but we should include clinics, even physicians' offices, and possibly even pharmacies because some of the technologies I'm working on is on the 3D printing pill of pills side of the equation, something I call high-tech pharmaceutical compounding, where we can be printing pills and, uh, and uh, you know, in a, in a pharmacy or even in a doctor's office. Uh, so for a little bit of background for your audience, the FDA has approved uh, or cleared now a little north of 100 medical devices that are 3D printed, and the first – drug was approved by the FDA that was 3D printed almost two years ago. I've had my fingers in in many of those products, certainly not all of them. Specifically, with regard to regulatory challenges of 3D printing in a hospital, uh, now we're getting into the very nebulous area of what the FDA does not regulate, and that is the FDA does not regulate the practice of medicine. And I think when it comes to 3D printing in a hospital, there's two obvious applications that we can talk about. One is the 3D printing of anatomical models based on patient anatomy for surgical planning purposes, for example, and then the second would be for printing of devices that are actually used on a patient or, in some cases, even put inside of a patient and, in some cases, maybe even a custom device. So those are the two general areas and we have similar regulatory challenges to both of them, Sean.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it it it's definitely an interesting topic and I'm glad you did mention the expansion uh of the you know, of, of where it could take place because that's one of the benefits of the technology is that it is uh, uh, at a size or at a form factor that you know these three D printers can easily be uh, uh, in any number of locations, uh, whether a hospital or just a simple doctor's office or the pharmacy, which uh, we've de- we've definitely seen some news on that with a three D printed uh, uh, pill or, or pharmaceutical uh, element. Uh, so, you know, we 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 touch on the the regulatory aspects. You know, what about the other uh, significant aspect of a hospital environment and that is liability? Um, I did briefly touch on this just just again in the letter. Um, but what about the, you know, you mentioned that in the practice of medicine is not regulated by the FDA. How does that tie into liability uh, and what will be, you know, viewed there or how will that be handled? Well
1: it's a good question Sean though I do think we need to back into that question a little bit I think we need to <clears throat> excuse me dive into the regulatory piece just a tiny bit more because these two issues regulatory and liability obviously are close closely related so <clears throat> why don't we uh, as a start talk a little bit about the 3D printing of anatomical models for surgical planning and some of the changes in regulation around that technology that have happened very recently. So, okay. up until up until recently, and I mean literally this past fall, um, the FDA did not regulate uh, the printing of, of anatomical models for surgical planning. Because that was easily argued as the practice of medicine, in other words, um, something that something that the FDA does not regulate. Physicians and surgeons can do whatever they want uh, without, you know, any any input from the FDA, and that includes the 3D printing of anatomical, anatomical models for surgical planning. In fact. We've been doing this already on a small scale for more than 20 years. So from a technology perspective, there's really not a lot new here. But what has changed this past fall, FDA has announced their intent to regulate the software being used to generate um, uh, anatomical models that are 3D printed for surgical planning if the software is specifically labeled or intended to be used for this purpose. In other words, if a surgeon or a hospital uh, buys some software off the shelf that's used you know for something totally different and they happen to use it for this particular use of uh, printing uh, anatomical models, then FDA would have absolutely nothing to do with that because that's uh, the practice of medicine. It would also be considered off-label use. On the other hand, if a company decided to uh, design and market software with the specific intention of being used for this purpose, then according to FDA, They plan, and this is a very gray area right now, but they plan to regulate this as a class two medical device, which essentially would mean that a 510K is required. They've even announced a product code that it will fit under. The product code is LLZ which already uh, is the product code that we use for picture archiving systems and and so on. Um, So so, so FDA is planning on regulating software for these purposes, and as a result, in order to get the 510K, obviously the verification and validation and the the testing and that type of thing would have to be done, which I think is a good thing. Now, coming back to your original question on the product liability side, I think for software that has gone through the FDA clearance or approval process, liability is still there, but it becomes a little less of a concern because the the, the product, I think, will be a little bit more reliable. Um, I would like to think, and Sean, you know, some people might call me naive, that regardless of uh, whether a product requires FDA clearance or approval or not that companies would still, you know, do all of the testing necessary to show that it works. But regrettably, that's not always the case. And we're starting to see this, uh, this is a topic of a different discussion, but we're starting to see this in the wellness exemption area, where, quite frankly, companies are bringing products onto the market that are making misleading or, in some cases, false claims, claims that cannot be supported. And in some cases, they're bringing products onto the market that, quite frankly, are crappy products They don't work. And in some extreme cases, they might even cause harm and so this is where you know i say to companies look you don't need to um uh, your your biggest concern here should not be the fda it should be the product liability attorneys because they can you know, cause a heck of a lot more damage to the company than the fda ever could
0: so i just want to be sure that i'm clear on going back to the to the two the two explanations of the software the off-the-shelf, you know, that I could buy at, you know, for home and, and make a, a custom 3D-printed chest set. If a doctor buys that and prints out uh, uh, 3D anatomical models, that is not regulated by FDA. However, if Company A is selling, you know, their software package that is targeting the use or, or targeting the doc, the physician user as a medical, anatomical, 3D printing software solution, then that will need to be FDA approved. That's exactly
1: correct, Sean. Spot-on okay. correct. And and there's tremendous precedent uh, in the regulatory world for this. You know, it, it, this has nothing to do with 3D printing. Um, there are lots and lots and lots of products out there that are sold, you know, for for other purposes that physicians sometimes use in medicine for for something. You know, take a simple example like a flashlight, okay? So if you go to the Home Depot and buy a flashlight, then obviously FDA has nothing to do with that. On the other hand, if you buy a flashlight that is specifically uh, labeled, for medical purposes you know for shining in a patient's mouth to diagnose you know treat prevent disease illness condition yada 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 then it would be regulated granted at a very low level but it would be regulated as as a medical device so in that sense you know there's there's nothing unique to 3d printing here that's that's what you said is a hundred percent true
0: so now with that with that change to the software now, if I if I purchase a software package for 3D printing anatomical, it's been it's, it now has gone through FDA approval due to the new guidelines. Is what about the machine I'm using? Do they do they uh, uh, you know identify certain machines that need to be used to be compliant with the software, or you know can I just buy any machine I want, any 3D printing machine I want as long as I'm using that software?
1: So it's a great question, Sean. Now, I have to be a little bit careful what I say here because, uh, as you and your audience know, I also work as a consultant for the FDA, so I am privy to some of the internal conversations within the agency. But as far as I know, what has been said publicly thus far is that FDA does not have an intention, at least at this time, to regulate the hardware. It would only be the software. Now, once again, there's tremendous precedent for that. Um, there are many, many uh, mobile medical apps, for example, um, that are regulated as medical devices. But the platform that the app runs on, whether it's an iPhone or a, you know some other sort of a smartphone or a, um, a, a tablet or a laptop or whatever, obviously, FDA does not regulate it, at least not directly. Part of the software verification and validation will be to show that the software runs properly on these different platforms. So one could argue that indirectly FDA is regulating the hardware, but there would be no um, uh, clearance or approval on the actual hardware itself. So using one more metaphor from the drug world, uh, FDA obviously regulates drugs. You get an approval on a drug but FDA does not regulate directly the manufacturing equipment, the tableting machines and so on that the drug company uses to make the pill. Indirectly, FDA would regulate that, both part of the verification and validation process as well as good manufacturing processes, but no company is going to get an approval on the the hardware to make the pill. So once again the regulatory logic is not unique to, to 3D printing, it's, it's 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 applicable across the board.
0: And this, again, is just with regard to anatomical models. So we're not talking about any other type of, of end result that's printed.
1: Thus far in our conversation, that's what we've been focusing on, Sean. But maybe right. at this point, we should shift now and talk about uh, printing actual medical devices.
0: Right. Well, and actually that... That leads into a question I did receive from a reader, which involved custom uh, implantables, and and this this reader was asking because they had looked into uh, purchasing a, a rather expensive uh, 3D printing machine, uh, and and said that you know the two uh, key factors that were really that that really kind of set him uh, off on on the result was cost of material, which I know we've kind of mentioned, but also the regulatory pathway, uh, he had said was going to be very difficult for most medical uh, med tech markets. So that kind of gets us into where we're talking about custom implant, implants, and you know that's where it gets really interesting with the, the, op, the opportunity that a 3D printer in a hospital could be you know, using patient uh, uh, imaging scans to then create a custom implant uh, that's used, you know, right there, you know, in the hospital during the procedure and, and ideally it's, you know, I, uh, fit right, you know, perfectly for the patient. What is the, you know, what are we talking about there? What, what's, what's that impact? Well,
1: that is a terrific question from our audience member, Sean. Uh, Sean. Thank you for sharing that because he or she is not asking the the more ubiquitous question about 3D printing of medical devices in general because, as I said earlier, you know we have now a little over 100 uh, 3D printed devices that have come through FDA. Uh, that person is asking specifically about custom devices. Now, regrettably, the vast majority nearly all of those devices that have come through the FDA already that are 3D printed are not custom devices. They are simply medical devices that are the same or very, very, very similar to what the devices that we already have. In other words, they were not uh, designed for that particular patient's anatomy. But as you described a moment ago, Sean, that is exactly where this technology is going, and that is exactly the true value of this technology, in my opinion, being able to make uh, a single device that's designed for a single patient. From a, uh, the, as I said, the vast majority of devices uh, are not do, are, are not done that way, for a variety of reasons, including the regulatory. But here's the problem, and to a certain extent. I believe regrettably, that FDA has uh I don't want to say they 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 caused the problem but they certainly helped, helped they certainly have not helped to solve the problem and here's why because one of the many things that bothers me in the current 3D printing guidance is they specifically uh call out the fact that the custom device exemption, the CDE is not the appropriate pathway, regulatory pathway to market for 3D printed medical devices, but it is the appropriate regulatory pathway for a device that is designed and manufactured for one particular patient using what's called patient-specific anatomy. So this presents, as you can imagine, Sean, a bit of a a dilemma maybe even an enigma for medical device manufacturers who want to do this on one hand they want to use 3d printing and they want to uh, you know do all of the things that you know they're supposed to do but on the other hand FDA is saying that you can't do the CDE we're still trained in trying to figure out a way to connect these dots I mean I have said many times before I do not agree that the CDE should be excluded just because something is 3D printed. On the contrary, I think the CDE actually has a lot of advantages for printing uh, customized or unique medical devices um, that, that uh, you know that the 510k and the other pathways do not have.
0: Does that make sense, Sean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like uh, it sounds like the Concerns, the regulatory concerns that the reader had, uh, are are definitely still uh, uh, very are very valid and still prominent within the the discussion. So it doesn't sound like we have a a good answer for for his uh, to alleviate his concerns. But you know, it, it is it's good to know that other people recognize that and, and see the, the issue there? Well,
1: it does present some big challenges. Let me briefly tick off a couple of them. First of all, for those not familiar with the CDE, it's a very uncommon pathway to market for medical devices. In the past, it's been more commonly used for, um, for, for dental appliances, for prescription eyeglasses, and for prosthetics. Um, and one of, the, one of the regulatory limitations is you cannot uh, make, I think it's more than five devices because uh, they're supposed to be custom. Well, you know, 3D printing is the epitome of a, of a custom device. You can make uh, a thousand of exactly the same device or you can make a thousand different devices. And if you're going to make a 1,000 different devices, does that mean that you're going to have to have a 1,000 CDEs? If that's the case, then I can guarantee that no company on earth is ever going to want to do this. I mean, why would they? It's going to be tremendously la- laborious. Um, and uh, on the verification and validation side, does that mean that you have to do V&V testing on a thousand different devices? Once again, if that's where we're going to set the bar, that's unachievable. It's just simply not pragmatic. And more importantly, from an engineering perspective, it doesn't make sense. This is why, and we've talked about this in our previous 3D printing discussion, Sean, the solution to this to this dilemma to this uh, you know clinical trial enigma how do you do a clinical trial for for one patient or one device the solution is very simple we have to validate the process not the product if we require companies or hospitals to validate every single product to do you know 100% testing this is just not feasible so we validate the process we make sure that when the surgeon inputs the various parameters to make this particular device whether it's in the software or what have you, that what comes out the, the other end of the device is, you know, a, a, a device that has that same size and shape and so on uh, that, that, the, that the surgeon specified. Just like, uh, you know, manufacturing something else, we uh, you know, a, a, a pill or a medical device, we, we validate the process, not the product. So that I think is the only way that we 're going to be able to 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 really take advantage of these technologies in the real world
0: yeah, I think you 're hundred percent correct and then and then doing it in the you know in the hospital you know so long as you 're using a, a software solution that's that 's been validated or that 's been approved you know a, a specific machine, at least in the case of you know if we 're talking about custom implantables, obviously that 's a different level you know we would we would have the 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 three d printing machine likely be approved, the material, the, the software, and then that, that, you know, the specific process outlined as to how this uh, process needs to go down. Uh, but on,
1: but on, briefly on the material side, Sean, and we've talked about this before as well, we have no regulatory mechanism, uh, at least not yet, I've suggested this, but we have no regulatory mechanism right now to approve a material. So that, you know, conjures up a whole other set of challenges. So, you know, as we wrap this up, I, I, I want to share with the audience that, as I said earlier, obviously 3D printing is increasing in popularity across all industries. but And in the medical device industry, uh, it's increasing as well. But I would argue that um, it's increasing, quite frankly, I don't want to say a snail space, but not much faster than the snail, Sean. Uh, it's really being held back. By a lot of issues, the regulatory challenges are certainly, uh, you know, a big one. Uh, Reimbursement or the lack thereof is another big one. And, uh, you know, so we are making progress, but I think we could be making progress a heck of a lot more quickly than, than we are.
0: Yeah, there's there's definitely a long way to go, but uh hopefully there's, you know, at least people looking at it and working on it and uh at le or at least listening to your suggestions <laughs> whenever you're speaking with the FDA. So uh you know, just just one yeah, we're we're way over, but one quick question I wanna ask you. Within the next, let's say, fifteen years, will will three D printing in the hospital for the purpose of use on a patient, let's, let's say that, for the purpose of use on a patient, will we see that in the next 15 years?
1: Well, let me, uh, let me answer it this way, Sean. From, uh, from a pure technology perspective, as a professional biomedical engineer, that will be happening more and more, uh, not just 15 years from now, but even, even sooner. I mean, as I said, we are making progress, um, and, and some of these technologies are not Star Trek are not science fiction. I mean, we, we have technologies where we can print devices in the same room that we implant them surgically into a, a patient. Believe it or not, John, one of the companies that I'm working with at 3D printing is in the business of 3D printing stents in the same room that the physician or the cardiologist would then implant it. And similarly, on the drug side, as I mentioned before, uh, we have the technology now. I'm working with, with a few startups that actually are doing this to print drugs in the pharmacies uh, 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 or even in the, in the back of your doctor's office. So from a technology perspective, you know, we've got a lot of these pieces of the puzzle in place already. There's certainly other pieces that need to be to solve, but we've got a lot of them already. But regrettably, what's holding us back is some of the regulatory and reimbursement and product liability and other kinds of issues. That stuff um, uh, is, is in, in some ways, more difficult to solve than the technological problems.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely some, uh, some hurdles to be, to be uh, addressed. So, unfortunately, though, that's all the time we have for this episode. I'd like to thank Mike Drews, as always, for joining me on, on yet another episode of Mike on MedTech. And as always, if you have any suggestions for a uh, future episode or you have questions about this topic or something else we've covered, please feel free to email me, sfensky at rodmanmedia.com. Until, that, until uh, next time we, we uh, speak to you, this has been Sean Fensky for Mike on MedTech.